Hey everyone, welcome to Cryout's online service. For now, this is the new normal, uh, so we just need to embrace it. And, and I understand that it's different because we were created for community, not for confinement. So let's just embrace it, rejoice in it, trust God through it because he's in total control. We also got to thank God for technology. It's through technology that we're able to give you these messages online during this pandemic. So let's get right into the Word of God. We're now in part six of our series, Faith in Action, from the book of James. Our text today is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Again, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now, last Sunday's text, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, our focus was on the Word. Say, say the Word. Now, now, to know God's Word is a good thing, but it's not good enough. We must live it out, live it out, in our lives, we, we must put feet to our faith. Now remember in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1, James closely links those two verses to the previous verses in that a consistent Christian life always shows up in practice. And what he does, he gives the marks of a believer whose faith is genuine, one who practices God's word and shares it with others through speech, that's a controlled tongue, through service, that's a love for others, and through separation, that's a holiness before God, keeping oneself free from worldly contamination. Well, here in chapter 2, James gives another practical example how to live out our faith. In today's text, he's dealing with an issue in the church. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a class distinction issue, and you see there was a problem of, of favoritism, partiality, and prejudice in the early church. Now, we need to understand that this wasn't just an early church problem. This problem is still an issue and exists in some churches today. And you see, how we treat others is one of the areas where the reality of our faith is tested. And this is one area where we can really see if we practice what we preach, if we practice what we believe. The title of my message today is Practicing Biblical Love. I want to give you four points from the text. If you ready, say amen. Number one is the admonition. Write that down, the admonition. Admonition means a gentle or friendly rebuke, counsel, or warning against fault or oversight. So let's look at verse 1. And James writes, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. The Amplified Bible says, Do not attempt to hold and practice the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, together with snobbery. In other words, don't claim to be a Christian and a snob at the same time. And what James is doing, James is rebuking the believers for portraying faith in Jesus while possessing partiality and prejudice at the same time. So there's a lesson here. This is the lesson. Favoritism, listen now, favoritism is unchristian. Favoritism is unchristian. It goes against the very essence of who we claim to be and against the very character and very nature of God. It's inconsistent with the teachings of the Word. It goes against the biblical definition of love. Uh, it's hypocritical, and it's sin. Now, if you're, now if you're saved, say Amen. We cannot have an effective witness for Jesus and be prejudiced at the same time. Because what prejudice does, prejudice hinders and tarnishes our witness. It hinders and tarnishes our faith. 
Now, now follow me. Now, the word favoritism, say that favoritism, favoritism is synonymous with the words prejudice, partiality, or snobbery. And it's a picture of someone who thinks that they're perfect with no problems, a picture of, of one who thinks that they're better than everybody else. So what James does, James gets right down to business and tells them, tells us, don't be that way. Don't, don't show favoritism. Don't be prejudiced. Don't be partial. Don't be a snob. Now, now the word partiality, partiality means to lift face, to lift face or to accept a face. And what it does, it conveys the idea of lifting up your countenance upon someone, showing favor to someone, to pander to one person over another. It's paying special attention to a person because of their wealth, their social standing, their position, their authority, uh, popularity, looks, or influence, and overlooking, ignoring, or shunning others who don't possess those things. And perhaps, friends, it might be a skin color, tattoos, perhaps piercings, hairstyle, age, size, clothes, or accents. And it might be even related to health and, and disability issues. You see, friends, it's when we just focus on the outside of a person that keeps us from loving the inside of that person. Faith in Christ and favoritism. Faith in Christ and partiality. Faith in Christ and prejudice. Faith in Christ and snobbery are incompatible. They don't mix. Now, I want you to go back to the text and notice James points out two things there to us in the text. And just write it down, God's glory. Just write that down, God's glory. And let's go back to the text. And James writes, in our glorious Lord. Notice he says, Lord, Jesus Christ. And what James does here, he points out Jesus' deity. That Jesus is glorious. Why? Because Jesus is, in fact, God. And I love the fact that James acknowledges the deity of Jesus Christ. So God's glory. The second thing he points out to us in the text is God's character. First God's glory, then God's character. Let's go back to the text. In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, again, he says this, don't show favoritism. Hey, we know that God is impartial, right? God is impartial. And therefore, as his children, we are to be impartial. We are to reflect God's character in our lives. And if we have true saving faith, we will, as believers, practice impartiality. Now, what comes to mind is Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 22. You might know the story, but there in that vision, God said to Peter, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And after Peter's vision, Peter then goes to Caesarea, and there in Caesarea, he meets Cornelius. And Cornelius is in his house, and there Cornelius has his relatives with him and other friends. And then in Acts chapter 10, verses 28 and 34 and 35, it says this, as Peter's there with them, it says, He, speaking of Peter, said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Because Cornelius and his family and friends, they were not Jews, they were Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. And then in verses 34 and 35 of Acts 10, it says this, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize, and somebody says, I now realize 
how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So it finally dawned on Peter that God wants to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And God was simply telling Peter, hey, Peter, let go of your prejudice. Hey, Peter, listen, I love Gentiles too. And you see, at that point in time, Peter realized that God isn't impressed with someone just because they're Jewish, but that God is looking at people's hearts, not their nationality. And he learned that God shows no partiality, that he's no respecter of persons. And Peter now finally sees the whole picture that God does not show favoritism. Write this down, Romans 12, excuse me, Romans 2, Romans 2, excuse me, Romans 2, verse 11 and it simply says this, for God does not show favoritism. Deuteronomy 10.17, Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So we know that God is impartial, and that's awesome. In fact, did you know that even Jesus' enemies admitted that he was impartial. Write this down, Matthew 22, verses 15 and 16. Matthew 22, verses 15 and 16 says this, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. Verse 16 says, Then they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't, this is what it says, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Listen, dur during his incarnation, Jesus showed no favoritism. He ministered to Jewish leaders. He ministered to, to beggars. He ministered to women, to a prostitute to a high priest, to, to the handsome, the ugly, uh, to the educated, the ignorant, to the religious and non-religious, uh, to, 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 to the good citizen and to the criminal, to the rich and to the poor. And you see, today in our society, we, we tend to judge people based on face value. And we don't even know anything about them, and already we think that we're better than them. It's called superficial judgment. It's a social disease, excuse me, disease that our society has embraced that has filtered itself into some of our churches today. Now listen, Jesus treated everybody with dignity. He's fair and he's just and he gives no preference for place, face, or race. And he treated the poor and the rich the same. He loved the healthy and the physically impaired. He touched and talked with the lepers and the outcast. He loved the Pharisees and the Sadducees regardless of their views on him. And he spoke with a Samaritan woman when no one else would. Now I want you to get this and listen. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus loved sinners. Okay, I'm going to say again. Jesus was a friend of sinners Jesus showed love to sinners, but, and you got to get this, he disapproved of their sins. He disapproved of their lifestyle. A church member asked me a while back, can a gay person 
or a transgender come to Cryo Christian Fellowship? And if they do, will they be welcome? And my response was, of course. Everybody is welcome here. But I said this, that doesn't mean that we approve nor affirm their lifestyle. Now, I want you to follow me here, and please hear my heart, because I know this is a very sensitive issue. As Christians, we can be loving and welcoming without being approving and affirming. We can be compassionate, get this now, compassionate without compromising God's word. Compassionate without compromising our beliefs. We need to love them, and we need to pray for them. And we need to lovingly share the truth of God's word with them. They need Jesus. And I want to say this as well. Every, for every non-saved person out there, regardless of their lifestyle or how they're living, we should see them not as the enemy, but as the mission field. We need to reach them for Jesus. Number one is the admonition. Number two is the illustration. The illustration. Write that down. And what, what James does here, he offers an illustration of the prejudice and the partiality that was taking place in the church. Look at verses two and three with me. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. Verse three. If you show special attention, notice those two words, special attention, to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. So, so the usher of that church, the, the usher of that assembly made two mistakes. The first mistake is this. He showed favoritism to the rich man because of what the rich man might do for the church. I'm going to say it again. He showed favoritism to the rich man because of what the rich man might do for the church. Now, now notice the words special attention. The word special attention comes from one Greek word composed of two words, and those two words are upon and look. Upon and look. So when the rich man walked into the church, okay, they looked upon him. That's what it means. They looked upon him. They, they, they took special attention to him. Now I want you to also notice this. There is no mention of any special attention given to the poor man. And that's sad. Let me give you some history here. In the early church, most converts were poor, common people. So whenever a rich man was converted, there was a temptation to treat him special because of how his riches might help the church. The second mistake that this usher made was he was more concerned about what the church could obtain from these two men rather than what it could impart to them. I'm going to say it again. He was more concerned about what the church could obtain from these two men rather than what it could impart to them. And you see, this, or the usher's heart, was dictated, got to get this now, dictated by evil motives. He was guilty of making, get this now, class distinctions. That brings us right into verse 4. Have you not, verse 4, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges 
with evil thoughts. The word thoughts there denotes inward reasoning. It denotes an opinion. It is an evil system, got to get this now, an evil system of thoughts that makes distinctions between the rich and the poor. Now listen, this was all based upon, listen now, preconceived notions and the outward appearance. Now listen, church. When we make preferences of some people over others, we set, up, we set ourselves up as judges of evil thoughts. It's holding one standard for one group and another standard for another. Now, sadly, sadly, this practice of partiality remains in some of our churches today. And people are often judged based on their color, the color of their skin, their ethnicity, and just simply by their appearance. You know, it's kind of like if they look like us and they're meeting our expectations, they're welcome with open arms. But if they seem a little different... They may be allowed in, but they're kept at a distance. And the sad truth is we tend to judge by outward appearances. And this is something that we're saturated with on, on a daily basis through advertisements, TV, movies, uh, commercials, and, uh, and above all, sp- uh, social media. Social media. When Americans were asked the question, what is your most precious commodity? The answer was looks. Not money. Not time, but looks. And that doesn't surprise me because people are obsessed with with taking selfies. In fact, they have now what you call slow fees where you can take a selfie in slow motion. Whatever, right? But looks are important to the American people. Now, listen, when, when, when we make an assumption and pass judgment based solely on perception and appearance, solely on perception and appearance, we have engaged in partiality. We have engaged in prejudice. Now, I want you to write this down. John chapter 7, the Gospel of John chapter 7, verse 24. And it says this, Stop judging by mere appearances. I want you to hear that again. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead, judge correctly. In other words, a righteous judgment. So I have a question for you. Do you see people in terms of their clothing, of their car, of their career, or their character? Think about that. Let me ask you this. When you walk into church, does favoritism have anything to do with with where you sit or where you don't sit? Now, I got to tell you, one thing I love about Cry Out Christian Fellowship is the love in this place. There is so much love in this place. And just a, a while back, uh, one of our church members saw a homeless man in the back of our building, and he welcomed him into uh, our church and gave him a cup of coffee, and he told him, come in the service. And so that homeless man, he did not smell nice at all. That homeless man sat in the church and there's a, a portion in our church service where we have everybody hug, hug somebody, have someone hug, find somebody and hug somebody. And I was there in the back and, and I just, as I, I began to walk up to the uh, altar to, to preach uh, the pulpit, uh, I saw individuals going to this man and, and hugging him and loving on him. And after the service, uh, I hugged him and he looked at me and says, thank you so much uh, for 
the message, thank you for the love and, and for, the, for the cup of coffee. And then he left, and we've never seen him since. In fact, I want you to write this down. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, I don't know if he was an angel or not, but nonetheless, we are to treat strangers with love and love on them, regardless of their background or, or where they came from. We also have some disabled ones that are here, and we love them so much. And this church cry out such a diverse congregation. There's different classes of people sitting next to each other, culturally, socially, economically, and also politically. Now, now listen. As believers, if we're saved, we are one in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, we need to look beyond our outer clothing and look at the clothing in our hearts. We are clothed with Christ, and we are covered by His blood. If you're saved, say amen. Well, we need, as believers, need to look at others through the eyes of Jesus. Warren Wiersbe said this, If the visitor is a Christian, we can accept him or her because Christ lives in them. If he or she is not a Christian, we can receive them because Christ died for them. It is Christ who is the link between us and others, and he, get this now, he is the link of love, of love. The admonition, the illustration, number three, is the explanation. Explanation, write that down, explanation. And look at verse five with me, verse five. Listen my, bro- listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Now, let me tell you uh, what James is not saying here, okay? Let me tell you what this verse is not saying because there are some people who misinterpret this verse. And I want you to follow me here. This verse is not saying that the poor will automatically go to heaven, okay? It's not saying that the poor will automatically go to heaven, nor nor is it saying that it's good to be poor and bad to be rich. Nor is it saying, okay, is it, it's, that it's good to be poor and bad to be rich. Also, nor is it saying that only the poor will be saved, that God overlooks the rich, Okay, we need to understand the background here. And remember this, in the early church, there were more poor people who trusted Jesus Christ for salvation than rich people. Now, now there were some rich people, and such as Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, Barnabas, and also uh, Philemon. But the majority of the conversions were poor people. And this is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-29, through 29, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. So what he says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. 
So back to the text. What James is saying in the text is that it doesn't make any difference to God whether rich or poor, we're all, in this, we're all the same in his eyes. And that God saves us completely on the basis of his son's work on the cross, not because of anything we've done, what we are, or what we have. And that's James' point here. And you see, these, these poor believers in the church may have lacked material possessions, but they were rich in Christ. They were rich in faith, possessing the ability to contribute to the church. That being said, aren't you glad that your salvation is not based on your savings account or your appearance? And you see, James is saying that wealth in itself and appearance does not deserve special treatment. Write this down. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, church, God, God sees what man cannot see. And he doesn't look at the clothes a man wears, the color of his skin, nor the money or the lack of money in his wallet. He looks at the, the heart. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about it. What hope would any of us have if our salvation were based on our ability, our appearance, or the acceptance of others. Think about that. Listen, we must learn to view people from a biblical perspective and not from a tainted view of prejudice and partiality. Let me ask you a question. Do you wear a, a smartwatch to impress people or to tell time and to get your messages? Let me ask you this. Do you drive your car for status or for transportation? Do you dress to impress or do you dress because you like nice clothes? And my point is this. If you think, if you think your wealth and your valuables will give you favor or special treatment in God's eyes, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Listen, God has given the kingdom to those, whether rich or poor, who love him and who have trusted his one and only son as their personal Lord and Savior, not to those who love this world and riches. Let's go back to the text there. To be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. So, so listen, if, if, we, if we leave this world without God, we possess nothing. If we leave this world with God, we inherit an eternal kingdom. Now I want you to write these verses down. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1 3 through 5. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verses 16 through 17. Romans 8 16 through 17. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. And I want to read that to you. 1 Corinthians 2 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things, that's what he says, the things God has prepared for those who love him. I love that. Let's move on, verses 6 and verse 7. But you have insulted the poor. Now, I love the fact that James didn't sugarcoat this, his rebuke to these people. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? 
Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? So obviously the wealthy Christians uh, were taking the poor Christians into court to sue them. Verse 7. Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him? That's the name of Jesus. To whom you belong. So James is telling them, you're impressed with the ones who by nature are exploiting you. And not only that, not only exploiting you, but who insult the name of Jesus. Let's go back to the text. The noble name of him to whom you belong. So if we belong to Jesus, if you do, say amen. If we belong to Jesus, then he calls us to represent his name. We carry the identity as believers, we carry the identity of Jesus in all that we say and all that we do. We carry a great responsibility to stand for his name as best as we can. We represent his name. So we ought to live godly lives. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture. Now, I want to stop there because this is called the royal law. Why? Why? Because it was given by and belongs to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, what's the royal law? Here we go. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. This is the law of love. This is the royal law. And God gave it God gave it in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Leviticus 19, 18. Jesus Christ affirmed or reaffirmed it to his disciples in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with God's love. Romans 5, 5, Romans 5, 5. Therefore, we are, to, we are expected as believers to show and share it with others. It was the law then, and it is still today, to love your neighbor as yourself. And James, what he's doing, he's reminding them and reminding us of our obligation to God's word and that the poor man is just as much as our neighbor as a rich man is. And you see, the royal law is the king of all laws. Why? Because, listen now, because if you obey this law, you wouldn't need all the rest. So write this down, Romans 13.10. I'm loving this, Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians 5.14. Galatians 5.14 says the entire law, that's what it says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're saved, say amen. If we're saved, listen now, when we are not motivated by the love of God, we become critical of others and we stop looking for the good in them and we see only their faults. Now, now listen. The Bible is very, very clear how we relate to other people. It shows how much we really love God. And if we're unloving, if we snub, shun, or mistreat other people, we're violating the royal law, and that's evidence how much you and I really love God. Dorothy Day said this, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Wow, that's powerful. I'm going to say it again. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Think about that. 
Let that resonate right now. And write this down, 1 John 4, verses 20 through 21. 1 John 4, 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given, and he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Listen, church, the real test of our love for God is how we treat and how we love other people. So question, how are you treating your brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? And you see, we, we violate the royal law when we show partiality to some. On the other hand, we are never more like Jesus than when we love as he loved. Love is the ultimate tool for evaluating our Christian lives. Now, I want you to get this, okay? I want you to get this. The capacity and the level of our maturity is going to be revealed by our capacity to love. I'm going to say it again. The capacity and the level of our maturity is going to be revealed by our capacity to love. I'm going to say it one more time, okay? Got to get it. The capacity and the level of our maturity is going to be revealed by our capacity to love. I love that. Now, now notice the text, okay? To love your neighbor as yourself. Do you get that? To love your neighbor as yourself. Self. Now, that doesn't mean that you love yourself, okay? It doesn't mean that. Well, what does it mean? It means, friends, you want to feed the hungry as much as you want to feed yourself when you are hungry. It means you want to help your neighbor find a job as much as you're glad that you have a job. It means that you want to help your fellow classmates to get good grades as much as you want to get good grades. It means you want to share Jesus with your neighbor as much as you're glad that you, listen now, that you know Jesus yourself. It means this. It means that you use all creativity, all energy, and perseverance to do things for others that you use in doing things for yourself. It means you care about what happens to others as much as you care about what happens to you. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 9 you're still with me, say amen, verse 9. But if you show favoritism, listen now, but if you show favoritism, listen what he says, you sin. You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So, so here the law, the law, listen now, will bring to light and expose our discrimination. It becomes our judge. In other words, friends, listen now, the word of God tries those who discriminate against others and finds them guilty. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles, stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And so what James is doing here is guarding us against selective obedience. If we emphasize the commands we keep but neglect the commands we break, what we're doing, we're kidding ourselves. We cannot plead that we keep certain aspects of the word and neglect other aspects. You break one, you break them all. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. 
So again, in this whole thing here, James is explaining to us that favoritism is sin, right? He says it's sin, and it makes us guilty of the what? The whole law of God. And his point is this. Favoritism is just as serious of a sin as adultery and murder. And perhaps, I don't know, perhaps, okay, these believers were saying, okay, our love might have a few little limitations, but at least we're not murderers. And perhaps they viewed their favoritism, they viewed favoritism, excuse me, as a small sin, not a serious sin. And therefore, to them, it wasn't a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. Favoritism is inconsistent with God's character. It's inconsistent with Scripture. It's sin, and it makes you guilty of the whole law of God. It's sin. And I think sometimes as Christians, I, I think at, at times we tend to categorize sin, don't we? You know, this small sin and not so bad sin, a big sin. And I got news for you, sin is sin, period. God doesn't grade sin. Sin is sin. And he doesn't like sin. In fact, doesn't like sin. He doesn't, doesn't he hates sin. He hates sin. The admonition, the illustration, the explanation, and number four is the application. Say that, the application. And look at verse 12 with me. Speak and act. Get that? Speak and act. As those who are going to be judged, get that now, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Okay, not freedom from the obligations of the moral law. It's freedom to fulfill the, the just requirements of the law. And what James is, is saying, he's simply saying this. Don't just talk the talk, man. He says, you're accountable to walk the walk. Your faith, he's saying, your faith ought to be evident for all to see. Your speech and your actions should be saturated, listen now, with love. That's what he's saying. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. God wants us to practice what we preach. He wants us to practice what we preach. You see, what we say, what we do, friends, must be consistent with God's word. In both our words and in our actions, counting God's eyes. Therefore, we cannot live in prejudice and at the same time maintain a consistent Christian life. You see, the law of liberty, what it does, it frees us from discrimination and it liberates us, or liberates, excuse me, our relationship to others. That being said, God will judge the Christian on how he relates to others, whether on the principle of freedom or on the principle of prejudice. Verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we need to speak and act like those who will be held accountable one day, right? That's what he's saying. And I want you to also notice that in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation 20, it speaks about the great white throne judgment, and that's not for us believers, but it's for those without Jesus Christ. They will be judged for their sins. As believers, our sins, okay, our sin was judged on the cross. Get that now. As believers, our sin was judged on the cross. On the judgment seat of Christ, known as the, the Bema seat, we will be judged and rewarded for our works, not for our sins. And write this down, Romans 14, 10 through 13. Romans 14, 10 through 13. 
And 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 speaks of that. It speaks of that. So, so if you're saved, say amen. And if you said amen, if we practice favoritism, listen now, we will suffer loss of reward. On the other hand, if we, if we are merciful in dealing with others, God will be merciful in dealing with us. So, so what's the lesson? Here's the lesson, okay? Obvious is what? Be merciful. Be merciful. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So if you want to receive God's mercy, then show mercy to others. And if we refuse to be merciful to others, then we will face the same treatment by God. So I got a question for you. What, 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 what would it be like if God treated you exactly the way you treated others? Great question. Think about that. And I don't know about you, but I desperately, daily need God's mercy. I need His mercy. Desperately need His mercy. And if we expect mercy from God now, we must show mercy now. If we live by mercy, God will reward us by mercy. So I want you to get this. Mercy triumphs over judgment just as love triumphs over partiality. I'm going to say it again. Mercy triumphs over judgment just as love triumphs over partiality. The person who exercises, listen now, exercises mercy will triumph over judgment because God will exercise no judgment on him or her. So, so we need to accept one another with compassion, courtesy, and consistency. We need to follow the royal law the law of love. Now, now in light of all, all that we've learned in today's text, I want to leave you with three things, okay? So I want you to follow me now. Three things. Number one is this. Let the Scriptures be my standard. I'm going to say it again. Let the Scriptures, Scriptures, not, not culture, not my feelings, not my opinion, not what I think, not what others think. Let the Scriptures be my standard. Okay? Allow God, listen now, allow God to change how I think, how I speak, and how I act by, listen now, living according to His Word. His Word, His truth. So let the Scriptures be my standard. That's it. This is our standard. This is our standard. This is our firm foundation. The second thing is this. Let love be my law. Let love be my law. How can I love this person? What's, what's needed to build this, this person up? Okay? Let love be my law. When, when, when you're, when you're in, in, in the midst of someone who's unlovely, let law, excuse me, let love be your law. You see, you see my, my capacity to love without partiality is an evidence, gotta get this now, an evidence of God's presence in my life. You see, love always wins. So let the scriptures be my standard. 
Let love be my law. And finally, number three is this. Let mercy be my message. Let mercy be my message. To show mercy, listen now, to show mercy shows that I have a vital connection with the living God. To show mercy shows that I belong to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is amazing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And so, Father, I pray that we as believers would love others the way that you loved us. That we would see the good in others. That we've been clothed with you, covered by your blood. That we would practice the royal law to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for saving us, and for keeping us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.